Shut up and sit down. Welcome to another episode of the Superhero Movie Club, a community of superhero movie fans. All nerds welcome, but please wipe your feet at the door. I'm your comic book culture host, Michael Maurer, joined by the movie maestro, James Skyler Houtsmo, and the scientific scholar, Ben Anderson. SHMC is your premier movie discussion podcast. Every week we continue our journey, exploring our favorite subject, superhero movies. Every fan sees the movies differently. So we gather some amateur experts to discuss certain aspects of the movie. Whether it's money, comic books, emo crying, music, or science, SHMC talks about it all in this week's episode. I'm going to ask MJ to marry me. A man has to put his wife before himself. Can you do that, Peter? Yeah, I think I can. We have some new information. This is your uncle's actual killer. We lost his trail two days ago. This man killed my uncle, and he's still out there! Everybody needs help sometimes, Peter. Even Spider-Man. Revenge is like a poison. It can take us over. Before you know it, can turn you into something ugly. The suit. Where'd this come from? The power. Feels good. But you lose yourself to it. Whoa. Spidey, love the new outfit. Remember Ben Parker? What does it matter to you anyway? Everything! Why would I want to push you away? I love you. You knew this was coming, Pete. I didn't kill your father! What's happening here? We've all done terrible things to each other, but we have to forgive each other, or everything we ever were will mean nothing. I need your help. I have to stop it. could be the end of Spider-Man. Spider-Man 3, and yes, there will be spoilers. Okay, let's get started with some first opinions all around the board. I want to know what you thought of this movie, Skyler. I don't have the fervent hatred of Spider-Man 3 that most people do. Is it a good movie? In parts, which I guess you could say for most of the Spider-Man movies. It's definitely the uh, one of the Raimi movies where they finally got the action and visual effects to an actually good level where the people don't look like just rubber people flying around. Um, it's, there's definitely too much going on in the story. Parts of the story could have been all right on their own, but put together, it's just a little too crowded. Popcorn Ben. Um, I was mostly on board until Peter started just getting really douchey, I guess. Um, <laughs> and I was like, okay, this is just kind of dumb now. Eh. 
it was it, it was okay. Not not great. Not even good actually. Just okay. I I like I like how you Ben you you come from a very outsider experience of of your opinion on the film. Uh, you don't really you're just <laughs> you're just like the moment he got douchey, like nothing to do with comic books or anything like that. Just the, that's when it started not, sucking. I'm not familiar enough with the source material to know when it's been bastardized. So it's just like, is the script good? In this case, no, it wasn't. So that's why I don't like it. Uh, I I always make it a point to uh, to try as hard as I can to watch the movies before the show, and I managed to watch this one. And 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 you notice some certain aspects, I think, when you rewatch a movie that you haven't seen in a long time. Uh, Spider-Man Three, I have not seen since near its release on DVD, and watching it again, I am stricken with the fact that Kirsten Dunst and Bryce Dallas Howard are smoking gorgeous women in this film it actually blows my mind like i think i think seven years ago eight years ago when this came out i was not at that stage in my life yet where they were attractive but hot damn Uh, this was 2007 i hope you hit puberty by 2007 yes 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 but i mean i wasn't i wasn't into 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 women that older than me okay i I guess i hit puberty in like 1997 so <laughs> a, like, I, I guess I'd have just like a different perspective on well, on that type. Of <laughs> and 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 I, honestly, it's I think it's very much agreed about Spider-Man Three that it's a pretty well put together film until about halfway through, or you know about two thirds of the way through, and Peter goes all the the self righteousness hits a peak. And he's doing jazz hips down the sidewalk, do pointing finger guns and swiveling his hips. And you can't tell if the women in the film are attracted or repulsed. And I gotta say, prime acting by the extras on that part, because it's really it's it's hard to tell. Those faces they make. Anything Toby Maguire is involved in, I'm just kind of like. <laughs> Remember, Skyler, this is a a audio. Um, medium, so the audience can't actually see the weird face you were making there. <laughs> Just so <laughs> you know. Thus the Gah. an onomatopoeia as a descriptor of emotions. Uh, but <laughs> I, I mean, I think the the biggest, the big key word with Spider-Man Three is just overdeveloped. Everything was overdeveloped. You had too many plot lines that you tried to dig too deep, and you couldn't, and you just didn't have time. To do it. Too many cooks. Too, too many, many cooks. cooks. Too many cooks will spoil, spoil the broth. The and what's his face? Avi Arad will make Sam Raimi do Venom when he's clearly said he didn't want to. He said he didn't want to. Oh, you should have made that rhyme. Okay, and <laughs> let's uh, let's stop talking about too many cooks. So how and... much money did this make? Yes, That's thank what you, I want to know. <laughs> What a subtle segue, on a broad duck, on a production oh, on a production budget of 250 million in 2007, which is a pretty big, healthy wad of cash. How much did it make? So they put 250 million in, and they got 336 million out in the U.S. Add in another 554 million elsewhere for a worldwide gross of 890 million, almost a billion. Breaking box office records. 
of oh, that yeah. decade. Uh, when this movie came out, it was. I remember it being the biggest movie of 2007. It uh, was, I believe. It's still. I want to say it's the second biggest worldwide movie of 2007, right behind the third Pirates movie, which was made for a lot more money, and it should still be the f- number one uh, in the U.S. of that year. Uh, it, I looked it up. It is um, The profit on this movie was the... It's between St. Kit, Kitts and Nevis and Granada in terms of how much money it made. Spider-Man 3 had the biggest opening weekend of all time until The Dark Knight. So it had approximately 14 months to be king, and then just... Well, now it's the 10th biggest, which says something about inflation and the size of movies today. Because those are $2,007. Yeah. Yes. And then and then almost all the other movies that are above it were made 2012 and up, with the exception of Dark Knight. And maybe a Harry, po- Harry Potter film in there. Oh, yeah. The last one is huge. No, I remember, you know, the months leading up to this movie, people were just psyched, ready, you know, so excited to see the Venom story arc, how the trilogy was going to end. Not as much enthusiasm coming out of the theater, but it still ended up making a lot of money. Yeah. I I liked this film when I was a kid. I I couldn't understand plot elements that well. Um, So this film really struck a chord with me. But anyway, uh, let's move right on into the source comic book material. I was going to say that would have been a good segue to my section, but comic Uh, books it is. (laughs) So this is the part of the podcast where I take a moment to explain all the characters that have premiered in this movie, as well as maybe any story elements that were borrowed and used in the film. So to start things off with the story that was used for the film, um, it is mostly the occurrences of Amazing Spider-Man 300, which were the origins of Venom, and Amazing Spider-Man number 4, which was the origins of Sandman. This sort of combined those two origin stories and then, you know, mixed them into Sam Raimi's current trilogy plot, and you get Spider-Man 3. And then, for some reason, mixing Gwen Stacy in as the second girlfriend instead of the first. Uh, Speaking of Gwen Stacy, this is her first cinematic uh, appearance along with Captain George Stacy, but I remember talking at length about those characters in Amazing Spider-Man episode so listen to those if you want a nice detailed history and a nice detailed history on the phrase Gwen Stacy syndrome that I use a lot on this podcast (laughs) so the first character I want to talk about is the new goblin or Harry Osborn and while Harry Osborn had premiered way back in like the Spider-Man first comic book uh, he didn't become the green goblin until Amazing Spider-Man number 136 in 1974. And this 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 takes place in the Spider-Man storyline right after Harry is a recovering drug addict. He goes crazy after seeing his father dead. His father was impaled by his own glider after a fight with Peter Parker, which was after Norman Osborn threw Gwen Stacy off a bridge and killed her. And so seeing this, it's it's very similar to the Spider uh, the uh, Spider-Man 1 story where he gets impaled by his own glider. James Franco sees his father dead with Spider-Man near him and blames Spider-Man for everything. 
so in in the comic books, all he does is he takes his father's equipment, confronts Peter, and is stopped by Spider-Man, and is claimed to be a lunatic even though he knows the true identity of Spider-Man because the Goblin Serum made him go crazy. And eventually he recovers, and they become friends, and he becomes the Goblin again. He's in and out of insanity, uh, as a lot of Spider-Man character story arcs go, is they heal, and then they become tortured and broken again. And then he died in a redemptive mo- moment, so... Uh... Yeah, Next, uh, the next character I want to talk about is uh, Sandman, a.k.a. Flint Marco in the movie. And he was made in uh, Amazing Spider-Man number four. 1963, Stan Lee and Steve Ditko. Back when Spider-Man was just every single comic, a new villain came out, starting with the Chameleon. You know, then there was there was Electro, Mysterio, the Lizard, and Sandman ends up in one of these, and just as one of Spider-Man's many old villains. I love, I love Sandman's origin stories. In fact, I loved all the origin stories of all these early villains because there there's there's some little ridiculous 60s charms to him. His real name is William Baker, not Flint Marco. But he develops the alias Flint Marco because Flint was the name of his former high school teacher who encouraged his passion for sand sculpting. And Marco comes from a phrase that his high school coach said to him when he threw a football game. He said, you're not making your mark on this world, kid. And that's how he became Flint Marco. And then, of course... Somehow, Flint ends up on a nuclear testing site that is also a beach in Savannah, Georgia, which <laughs> – it's ridiculous. It's as ridiculous as it was in the movie, all right, <laughs> in which he becomes bonded with irradiated sand into his DNA, thus giving him no more physical structure in his body. Uh, his internal organs essentially become sand. His I don't know where his how his brain even works at this point because he's just living organic sand. Well, I mean, if you think about it, computers are just you know carefully organized sand. So, but you can see the circuitry of computers. You can attempt to understand it. Yeah, I I, I guess if the cellular structure of the stand is each its own. Don't think about it too hard. It's comic book science. Self-sufficient DNA molecule, just some like really compacted cell structures that all work independently, and yet as a hive mind at yeah. a mass scale. That's how I can imagine saying. We'll we'll talk about that in science. Hive mind. <laughs> Let's just keep it simple. Um, originally, Sandman was a was a was a petty crook. Um, nothing. I don't think the the daughter storyline was sort of put into the film. The dying daughter storyline was put into the film to make him more sympathetic, when all he was is just a criminal that got superpowers and was was mad at Spider-Man. And then eventually, much like almost all Spider-Man villains, he sees the error of his ways and becomes a member of the Avengers and a hero on his own. And now he's sort of this anti-hero that again goes back and forth between being a villain and a hero. Gotta love that. Whatever the plot line, whatever the plot should need at that moment in time. Uh, next character is the Black Suit Spider-Man, a.k.a. the Venom Symbiote. Not exactly Eddie Brock Venom. I'll get to that later. The The first appearance of the Black Suit appeared in Spider in Secret Wars number 8 in 1984 by Jim Shooter. And 
I love the origin story of the black suit because it was a concept that was proposed to Jim to editor in chief at Marvel, Jim Shooter, by a fan from Illinois named Randy Schuler. And Jim Shooter liked the idea, so he bought it off the fan. He bought the sketch off the fan for two hundred and twenty dollars. Bought the rights. <laughs> that fan created Venom. Now, the the original story was not that it was an alien symbiote. It was simply a, a new suit because there were a lot of complaints that Spider-Man's suit gets torn and repaired in a lot of the comic book issues. And in the next issue, it's completely repaired. Um, and so Tom DeFalco and Ron Friends developed the idea that this new suit would actually be an, a sentient alien being and that's how peter is able to repair his suit and then eventually it becomes venom the symbiote and we don't get to see that until full blown until it bonds to eddie brock and eddie brock premiered in web of spider-man number 18 in 1986 but he didn't appear as venom until Amazing Spider-Man number 300 in 1988 by David Michelin and Todd McFarlane. So it's really complex where the origin story of Venom comes from because you could say it was Randy Schuler's idea, but he just made a drawing of a black suit. You could say it was Jim Shooter's idea because he was the guy who bought that black suit idea and then pitched it to his... Um, pitched it into his Secret Wars storyline. Or you could say Tom DeFalco and Ron Frentz developed it because they made the, the suit sentient, but they didn't make it an evil alien yet. But n n whether or not you hear it's there, Eddie Brock, the his story is that he wrote an article about a serial killer named Sin Eater and exposed the wrong person. In Instead of uh, the actual serial killer, he he wrote an article saying that this person was the Sin Eater when actually they were just a compulsive confessor and Spider-Man caught the real one. This, of course, spawns Eddie to swear vengeance on Spider-Man. And this is winds up at the same time Spider-Man rips the symbiote off of his body and it seeks Eddie Brock. And now we have Venom, the antithesis of Spider-Man. Spider-Man's walking torture chamber because Venom is one of the scariest awesomest villains ever created he is my favorite by far him and carnage i was gonna say now we have 90s comic books in a nutshell yeah i mean 90s comic is 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 is, is all these big ripley muscles and, and bandoliers but with venom and carnage it looks awesome because it's all sinewy i almost bought the like about it was at a used bookstore, and I found a bundle of the Punisher Max comic books. I almost bought it, and I was like, no, I'm broke. <laughs> I just want, Speaking of 90s comics, I just wanted to add that. Yes, and then there's also Carnage Max, which was a, a nice series that Ooh. came out at the same time. I own a couple of those. That sounds um, like my jam. <laughs> it's kind of fun. It's pretty crazy and off the wall, but that's the 90s. Maximum uh, Carnage came into the store a little while ago, and I picked it up. That's what I meant. Maximum Carnage, not Carnage Max. So, and guess what happens to Eddie Brock? Uh, he develops himself into an anti-hero persona. He becomes a new hero called Anti-Venom after absorbing a new symbiote. And then eventually, after that, he bonds to the Toxin 
symbiote, which is an offspring of the carnage symbiote, because once symbiotes bond to a human body, they can asexually reproduce, so venom creates carnage, which creates toxin, and I don't even remember where anti-venom comes into this, and then there's hybrid and all of these other symbiotes as well, but uh, just uh, just as a little rule of thumb so you know how Marvel symbiotes work and the aliens. <laughs> Do we see now why Marvel wants to wipe the slate clean like every decade? It's because of stuff like this. It is because of stuff like this. So, Skyler... Asexual reproduction is the best kind of... No, it's not. I lied. <laughs> I almost lied. I didn't complete that thought. Uh, speaking of uncompleted thoughts, uh, I don't have a good segue. Skyler, talk about music. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, Music for Spider-Man 3 is done this time by Christopher Young, who took over for Danny Elfman from the first two movies. Uh, Elfman had described his experience writing for Spider-Man 2 as, quote, a miserable experience, unquote, which (laughs) is why he chose not to uh, return. But his themes were ultimately used for the film, and uh, Christopher Young, who had worked with Sam Raimi on a movie called The Gift before this, uh, comes up with a lot of his own themes for the new characters and storylines in Spider-Man 3. Let's take a listen to the first one we have here. Harry confronts Peter during the first big action scene of the movie, where you can hear Danny Elfman's Goblin theme come in. What's that? What's that whoop sound? Pretty sure it's a French horn just flutter tonguing. Yeah. yeah, those it's I think it's called a rip. Yep. It is yeah. literally called a rip. And it sounds like it. What what's a what's a rip? Oh gosh, I used to know how how to, from marching band. I used to know how to do them. Um but basically you raise the pitch with your lips while lowering it with the valves or something like that. It's just manually making the instrument go from a low range to wherever. But like in a particular way. It's a very distinctive sound. That's oh, yeah. that's enough explanation. I really wanted like one sentence and you guys to give me two minutes. Oh. <laughs> Can you tell we're from like band and orchestra? Yeah. <laughs> anyway, uh, probably one of the more uh, iconic music moments of the movie is The Birth of Sandman, which is this completely digital scene that's almost like silent movie motion, wordless acting. And it's accompanied by uh, music from Young that originally was uh, supposedly sounded too monstrous and Sam Raimi asked it to sound a little more tragic. So let's take a listen.
Yeah, there were some really serious attempts to make Sandman a very sympathetic villain, but at the same time, I think they were a little bit too transparent. Right, the whole, my daughter's sick, so I can't be responsible for anything was just a little too far on the spectrum. Well, that would work if if there was more than maybe one scene. And, like, what is he's robbing to do it? I mean, if he wasn't hurting people, if he was showing some restraint, but he just, he wasn't. No, it's it's a character that's not taking uh, responsibility for their own actions, really. And the music uh, sort of reflects it. <laughs> oh, yeah. Um, I will say, as someone who used to play a low woodwinds instrument, this... Uh, this movie's themes rely very heavily on bassoon, bass clarinet, a lot of contra instruments. You can hear that at the end of that last track with the Sandman theme that comes in. The and uh, you'll also be able to hear that in uh, Venom's music later on. But first, we got to get to uh, Young's music for the black suit itself, which can be heard in the... Subway Confrontation Track. Digging the operatic vibe of this. Those track. are some French horns, man. <laughs> no kidding. <laughs> and some nice ahs in the background. <laughs> no, it's so over the top, and I, it works really well for the tone this movie is going for. So yeah, just over the top. It is, and there's nothing wrong with that, especially when I think uh, Young comes up with some pretty memorable themes this time around especially for how many new ones he comes up with, too. As kind of a something that isn't so grounded in the themes, kind of a fun one-off is the mansion fight between uh, Peter and Harry that utilizes the trap set you might hear in a street beat. Uh, let's cue it up. Think, um, now I'm just noticing this, but like the Danny Elfman score from like Spider-Man 2 was 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 very op- operatic. You know, a lot of ho ho hos. You know, it's very very dramatic. It was a Danny Elfman score. Yeah, yeah, it was a Danny Elfman score. And this film started with those themes at its base, and then the farther we go, the more jazzy. It gets. Worse the script gets. <laughs> <laughs> There's some serious jazz going on in the later half of this movie. I don't know if that's a director's choice or a musician's choice, but it definitely happens. 
it's a little uprooting because it kind of makes it feel inconsistent. I think that's why, you know, it affects everybody's overall mood of their opinion of the last section of the film. True enough. I mean, obviously jazz has a place in a New York setting, but in a Spider-Man setting, it depends on whose uh, iteration it is. Definitely not a Sam Raimi iteration. Sam Raimi does not scream jazz. What Sam Raimi does scream, apparently, is operatic stuff, which we will get back to with the last track, Joined Forces. While, I, while we criticize how they got to the point of the final fight of, of Venom and Sandman versus New Goblin and Spider-Man, I got to give them props because that probably looked like a great idea on paper. No, I said that earlier that uh, Spider-Man 3 works in parts, and I think the ending battle itself is one of the most entertaining parts of the movie. Yeah, how they got there, muddle. But uh, just listening to this track, you know, that old, that good old Spider-Man magic with the, the Danny Elfman theme and all that. Uh, it really elevates it. It really, and it also feels like, a, do you get a sense of return? Because this is the scene where he comes swooping in back in his old costume. Oh, yeah, it's like, Okay, we've meddled around in some weird stuff for the last hour. Let's get back to what we all know here with uh, Spider-Man Saves Mary Jane for the third time in a row. So. Yeah. Well, add, fun fact, uh, that was actually supposed to be Bryce Dallas Howard. That was supposed to be Gwen Stacy in the car. That's right. But apparently that would just be too too crazy. Be too crazy. I'm not sure. I think the studios put a dip to toe in that one. You think? Mm. All right. So any uh, more music from you, Ren Sky Guy? No, I just want to say that, you know, for a third installment that went with a different composer, could have been a big misstep, but I think this score finds a good balance between giving us the stuff that we've come to expect, but also uh, delivering some new stuff that gives it its own identity. So let's make an awkward transition to science. Yes. So, Ben, how are you doing there? I am doing well. Oh, good. How are you? I'm good. Thanks, buddy. Good. good. I, I, you know what? Normally, I would, I would, we, I would have this little introduction because you didn't talk a whole lot during my section and Skylar's section, but yeah. lately you've been, you've been on, you've been on ball, man. Oh, thank you, thank you. I, I ball so hard. Motherfuckers want to find me. <laughs> so I don't think I need to make sure that you're here anymore. Um, oh no, I'm, I'm definitely here. You're picking it up. So yeah. let's talk about science, baby. Science elements in the movie that we can sort of try and discuss, or at least ex- sort of sort of draw out as much as we can, just because it's kind of fun. It's a yeah. fun little extra segment to it's do with fun. everybody sees movies differently. And let's talk about some science elements. So hey. number one topic: New Goblin's hoverboard. New Goblin's hoverboard. Um, 
it's 2015. Where's my goddamn hoverboard, right? Um, <laughs> it's on its way. There, there's a lot of people working on building them because they're pretty cool and would be pretty fun to ride. I, I was like looking this up this afternoon, seeing who has hoverboards, who's building one, and there's several companies that have like these prototypes out there. They're not as spectacular as what Green Goblin has, but now does do they operate through magnets or through propulsion, through blades like helicopters? Well, most of them honestly are just really, really small wheels, really subtle wheels. Yeah, like a lot of them are just like, oh, it's it's a skateboard, but like the wheels are in a slightly different position or something. Yeah, I was going to ask when you met, slight, not as spectacular, meaning it goes like three inches off the ground and nothing yeah. else. Okay. Um, there's a hovercraft, which is like just a big version of a hoverboard, but they operate on compressed air. So you just you just like pump air really fast, you know, through a thing with holes in it, and then it lifts the whole thing up like three inches, and it's lame. So, yeah. but I mean, I mean, you look at it, and essentially. Goblin's hoverboard is a drone that he rides. Yeah, yeah. So it's like a, it'd be like a really big quadcopter. I guess would be would be the best way to mm-hmm. get the Green Goblin thing going. And the thing about it is, you you just in order for that, it just wouldn't be able to fly because it wouldn't be able to support like a two hundred pound man. For for you to like stand on top of it, have to generate a hell of a lot of thrust. And there's a reason quadcopters and drones have to be lightweight. Because mm-hmm. if they're sturdy enough to carry you, then the power source for it is going to make it last like three minutes, and it's going to be this enormous battery, or it's going to be plugged in or gas-powered. Hoverboards. Debunked. Or at least, well, explained. Not 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 debunked, but just being like, hey guys, have realistic expectations. Either uh, invest, like, invest in a real skateboard or a Segway or something, <laughs> or be comfortable with this like enormous, clunky, and extremely loud thing that goes three inches above the ground. Now, let's let's talk about the topic that I really want to talk about before the big one, and that is Sandman. How the hell does he work? How that is a question. Magic, comic book science, I don't know. There's there's no... I mean, I, I said earlier um, that, like, computers are just organized sand, and if computers can think, in air quotes, why not Sandman, I guess? I don't know. I don't know where to go with this one because it's it's not really a real thing that can happen in any way. Like, there's no way. Like, well, I mean, I'm just. Uh, I can't even begin to explain. We know, we know it's not real. We know there's yeah. no chance it's real. But it's it's the idea of of being able to change your molecular structure to the point where you're manipulating minerals that you touch. Do they talk in the movie about, like, an endomorphic field? No, they just oh. call it a nuclear testing site, and okay. they spin that thingy around him. We didn't even know what the yeah. hell they were testing. Radiation, man. It's uh, Comic books just are like, hey, radiation did this. <laughs> and it's very Cold War-y in that yeah. way. So, I don't know. Yeah, there's something in the chamber. Oh, it's probably it's... just a bird. It'll fly away. I mean, it was it was the '60s. Radiation was this big thing. No one knew what it really, you know, what the long-term effects of radiation exposure were. So, mm. all they knew was in the short term, it messed you up. Yeah, yeah. 
Yeah, basically. All right, let's talk about the big topic then. The big thing. And that is symbiosis. Yes. The reliance so, of one organism on another. Uh, not reliance, actually. It's a it's a mutual thing. So for so a re- symbiosis is a relationship between two distinct species that is a close and b long term and c usually mutually beneficial. So. A good example of this, Finding Nemo, the um, symbiotic relationship between the clownfish and the sea anemone. Sea anemone is venomous and protects the clownfish from predators, and the clownfish um, feeds on parasites that might grow on the anemone. So it's a symbiosis because it's close, long-term, mutually beneficial. Is there anything that's like actual physical bonding? Um... Are there... Yes. Oh. Yes. There. There are symbiotic. I'm trying to think of an example. Oh, uh, the bacteria that live in your gut. That is a symbiotic relationship. They help us digest food. We give them a place. You know, the right environment for them to grow in. Now, as soon as this relationship becomes non-beneficial, it becomes a parasite. Correct. Yes. Yeah. So a if it becomes not mutually beneficial, then it's called. Uh, t- commensalism I don't really know how to pronounce it but it just means there's an interaction it's not beneficial or harmful if if one of the part if one of the parties is significantly harmed by the other then it's a parasite so i think venom and and spider-man like that that kind of thing is a parasitic because spider-man is definitely harmed by venom being attached to him but so he also a, but he also gains the strength super strength yeah, so it'd be, I don't know. I don't know what it would be then, but... Just a bad relationship. Just, yeah, just no good. A yeah. given, it's a give and take of sorts. So, yeah, symbiosis is a real biological concept, um, and you can observe it all over the place in nature. And that, there you go. Yeah. Symbiosis in, in Spider-Man. We need to find a word for what his, his, his actual deal was, because it was like symbiosis with, with a catch. Yeah, it's um I don't know what that would be. Um right. I would call it paras I would call it parasitic cuz it's a feeding off his negative emotions, I guess. Yeah, basically. All right He is then. harmed by it significantly. Even if it gives him super strength, he's still harmed by it. So Any more science, Ben? Uh that's about all I got for this one. Uh, pretty pretty short and sweet. Yeah, but I liked I liked uh I liked the 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 symbiosis cuz cuz uh I like I like it when things in comic books relate to the real world <laughs> yeah it's nice you know there's sandman which i don't even know where to begin explaining how that's all wrong i just ignore it but yeah it, it's good to see comic book writers using science in a productive way all right then let's uh let's talk about a couple fun facts before we end out the episode tonight first fun fact i'd like to say is we all know that spider-man 3 was a bit of a mess between characters and it was you know the trilogy was demanding a conclusion on the goblin story arc sam raimi really wanted to put sandman into the film and the studio was really pushing for venom because he has huge marketing potential which obviously paid out but the original draft 
was to have, instead of Venom, was a team-up between Sandman and Vulture. And Vulture was rumored to play to be played by Sir Ben Kingsley. Uh, back in the day when Spider-Man 4 was still a possibility, they had actually lined up Ben Kingsley to play the Vulture for that fourth one. And that was supposed to have Carnage in it, right, as the other villain? I don't think so. I think they were doing something with Anne Hathaway also playing another Vulture-like character. Hmm, like Silver Sable? Black Cat? No, basically the chick Vulture. Oh, that's odd. I yeah, can see prob- it, though. Probably why it didn't happen. Um, the uh, the butler in the film, Houseman, is actually Bill Paxton's father. Who looks like he just does not know where he is, what he's saying. <laughs> but he, he's adorable. He's an adorable old man still. And uh, any any fun facts from you guys? Nobody did any research on this film, did they? I don't have any fun facts. <laughs> Sometimes I don't know why I invite you on, guys. Uh, fun fact, I'm a young money millionaire. <laughs> <laughs> I've heard that. Oh, wait, no, hold on. I can't actually wrap that entirely of that song because it gets very explicit very quickly. <laughs> a milli, a milli, a milli. I'm trying, to, I'm trying to think of a single line that I can fit, like go all the way through and have it not be awful. Now, does okay, let's oh, talk about um, this. Spider-Man 3 made so much money, why didn't they make a Spider-Man 4? Basically because they couldn't line anything up with Sam Raimi, who once again wanted to do his own thing, and the studio wanted a different thing. And this time Sam Raimi was just, like, done. So Then I think, didn't actor contracts expire after the third film as well? I distinctly remember there being a lot more fuss about Will they come back? Won't they? Blah, 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 So mm-hmm. Probably because that, their contracts expired. <laughs> yeah, yeah that, was, that was in the news for a long time. Oh, uh, Spider-Man 3 had about 900 visual effects shots, which was huge at the time before movies like Transformers and whatever came out. I love, I love how Transformers is such a staple mark in American cinema because it right. broke so many weird barriers. It is a cultural touchstone for some reason. <laughs> <laughs> a cultural milestone of awfulness. Well, I mean, not the, not awful, just just kind of shallow. Yeah, that first one. Yeah, it's the, uh, the first one like had some semblance of a plot. The action was exciting even if it was somewhat confusing. Shallow on one and then by the time we get into 2 to 4 Oh, two repetitive. through four were just just confusing messes on on repetitive mess and continually worse. Okay, uh, I think we should. Uh, I'm gonna I'm gonna edit. I think this we out. should wrap it up because we started talking about Transformers again. Yeah, yeah, I know. I okay. Question: Is the Daily Dot satire? What's that? The Daily like is it like the Onion? I don't know. Never heard of it. Okay, because I just found a thing in my Twitter. Tommy Wiseau wants to direct a Fantastic Four reboot. <laughs> oh, yeah, I saw that. Holy shit. <laughs> so, no, that, that is not satire, actually. Oh, wow, okay. I would watch the shit out of that movie. <laughs> Could it get any... I mean, we've already hit rock bottom. <laughs> it can't get worse. It can just It can just get, like... Funny. It can only get better, and if it gets better, it's going to be so bad it's good, rather than being just abysmally awful. Oh, that's exciting. I'm so excited. Uh, Spider-Man 3 actually makes a potentially awesome drinking game so that every time someone starts crying, take a shot, 
and then whenever Tobey Maguire starts ugly crying, take like five shots. Oh, that could be the final Bad. segment, actually, is we're going to introduce a new segment maybe in, in, coming, in coming episodes where we just say, insert movie here's drinking game rules. Okay. And then we're just sort of ranting off some of the weirdest, dumbest yeah. crap that happens more than once in the film. And what you're supposed to do. I'm on board. Yeah, you yes. like that idea? Okay. Yeah. It just so happens that this one is the perfect one to start that on. Knock, knock. Who's there? The end of this episode. Looks like that's going to wrap it up today. Super fan, Superhero Movie Club is recorded and produced by Triop Cop Productions. If you like what you hear, show us your support by rating us on iTunes. Doesn't cost you any money but more just a moment of your time to click a damn button fans we know we've got 60 of you who are at least fans and i know probably 50 of you have not rated us just do us the small favor we give you this for free tell us that you like it that's all we're asking and you do that you don't even have to attach your name to it if you if you tell us that you like us more uh, you have plenty of opportunities to do so like reddit.com slash r slash superhero movie club if you want to talk about episodes with us after after we post this we'd love to hear from you and we've also got an active twitter feed at superhero mc follow us there send us your questions comments concerns haikus and suggestions and we'll use them on the air also if you follow us on twitter i will give you a fun superhero name based on Background knowledge of just the name of your Twitter handle. Uh, example includes at Derek Patrick is following us, so I gave him the superhero name. Oh, I'm sorry, the supervillain name, Derricka Patrick, able to beat Danica Patrick in every single competition, no matter how silly. God damn, that's sinister. <laughs> what are you gonna do with so 144? All right, and uh, a fun little quip awaits you, so join the club, and that'll do today. I'm your host, Michael Maurer. James Skyler Houtsma. And Ben Anderson. And I hope you all have a super week. Yay! And I believe the driving is up, that broke his soul. And Houston, Texas, that's up together with the broke his soul. And Mobile, Alabama, getting that broke Just up together, man, that punk is sold.